Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Hey, Jody, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. And uh, thanks for stumbling across me on the internet and asking me to, to come on. This is really great. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of st stumbling across you on the internet, you know, the way I found you was actually uh, via the Swell app. And, uh, you know, I, I was browsing podcasts, which I do. And usually I do it for selfish reasons because I want to see who's advertising on those podcasts. But I stumbled up on this thing called Ask Roulette and I was listening to it and I thought, this is really, really weird and cool, and only a completely insane person could have conceived something like this. I need to find out who this person is. And, you know, my curiosity naturally led me down the rabbit hole of the internet uh, eventually to you. So uh, before we get into Ask Roulette, tell us a, a bit about yourself, your background, your story, and how that eventually led to the formation of, of this crazy thing, which we will actually get into detail about. Sure. I'm, you know, I live in New York. I'm a radio producer. I work for WNYC, which is the NPR station here in New York. We produce a bunch of shows that people hear around the country, like Radiolab and Studio 360. Uh, I work for the local call-in show. Every station in the country has one of these, you know, the local public affairs call-in show. Ours is called The Brian Lehrer Show, and it's hosted by a guy named Brian Lehrer, who, um, you know, I think is the best host in the business. I really do think that. And, it, and so I've been on that show for about five years and help produce that every day, you know, research, write questions. Uh, but we're like a really community-oriented show. We talk about national and international politics, but we really try and connect our listeners to the rest of the world and to each other. And some of my favorite moments in the radio that we make are when our listeners are talking to each other. And it feels like we're just um, kind of greasing the wheels for that and, and, and letting that connection happen. That's the kind of radio I like the best. There's a lot of radio that talks down to you uh, and tells you what to think. And I like the kind of radio that lets you sort of explore new ideas and maybe uh, push you out of your comfort zone and connect with others and so forth. Uh, this connects to um, Ask Roulette, which is this idea I had, because it's actually something that we tried initially on the Brian Lehrer show on WNYC. Uh, we, uh, I'd say this in the, in, in the most in the kindest way possible, we sometimes like to treat our listeners and our callers as guinea pigs, sort of, and, 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 <laughs> and sort of do weird 
uh, games with them. And so we'll do like call-ins built around weird questions. We'll, we'll try and uh, connect people. We've had sing-alongs on the air where we'll have people all sing a song together live on the, on the radio. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that really gets me going in addition to, you know, interviewing the mayor and senators and so forth. But, uh, so this this idea of pairing callers with each other to talk to each other led to this idea of mine, which we call radio roulette, which is where we basically say, if you want to ask a question of another listener, any question whatsoever, call in right now. Sort of take a chance to connect with someone, call in. And the one catch is that before you get to ask your question of someone, you have to answer a question first. So what happens is this chain, you get this chain of questions and answers. So a caller calls in, we pair them with someone else, they answer a question from a stranger about really anything, and then they have a little conversation, and then they get to turn around and ask a question of a stranger of their own. So we tried this on the radio, completely not knowing what was going to happen, and you know, within the first minute realized there's something here. Like, this is great. People get it. And all these sort of serendipitous connections are happening. And there's this really great range of topics. And we can talk about some of the different questions that get asked. And I almost immediately had the thought, you know, I think that this could spin off into an actual live event. Uh, This could go beyond the radio and actually happen in person. So I sort of started to conceive it and tweak it and, and make it its own new thing, which turned into this regular live show I host in New York called Ask Roulette, which is basically, uh, uh, we call it a conversation series in which strangers ask each other questions live on stage. So people come, they come with a question they want to ask a stranger, they get randomly paired on stage in front of a live audience, and they talk to each other. But in that same sort of way, you ask, you answer a question from a stranger, then you turn around and ask a question of a stranger. And it started to really work well live, and we do it regularly now here at venues around New York. We've gone on the road a little bit, and uh, we have a nice little devoted audience. And then the way that you found us was through the podcast, which is, you know, I take that I record the live show and then I break it out into a podcast where I take little chunks of those exchanges and push them to the internet and people from all over the world have uh, started to listen. So it's, it's great because it's got this um, live iteration, which is really nice. And then it's got this sort of podcast life where people can find us too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right. So a lot of questions. Uh, I, I actually want to get into the, the journey before the journey. I mean, you mentioned that you've been a radio producer for five years. What I'm really curious about is, you know, what actually led up to that uh, you know, at, at, you know, when you were younger, I mean, has this been, have you been a media creator or somebody who has this just flair for these kinds of things from a very early age? I, you know, what kinds of influences did you have growing up that ended up putting you on this path? Well, I, I don't think there's many people in the world who grow up wanting to be public radio producers. There aren't that many like eight year olds who you ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, no, nah, I don't want to be a fireman. I want to be a public radio producer. Uh, that So I was never on that path from an early age. I actually was a, was a film person for a long time. In college, I made documentary films. In high school, I made films with my friends. And I found my way to radio because um, I actually realized that the sound in my films 
uh, sucked. It was terrible. And I thought, gosh, radio folks must know something about sound. Let me explore that world, get some tips. And I started making radio pieces. And then I realized that I think I like it better. I think it's a better medium. So I started uh, finding my way into radio that way. And then I eventually found my way to WNYC. But in terms of the question you asked about sort of, uh, you know, what kind of motivation do I have going into this? I mean, I really have always liked collaborative projects. Uh, you know, even in high school when I was making films, it was as much about doing something with people I respected and people I was friends with. I've uh, played sports my whole life and really think there's a big parallel between being on a sports team and being in a creative, collaborative environment. Uh, I've learned lessons for each of those worlds from each other, and I think it's made me better at both of those things. So, you know, I uh, tend to just really like being on a team. And most of the work that I do, I think I I like it when it's um, doing the same sort of thing. You know, it's the work, you do the work together, and then the work itself somehow connects people and creates a sort of team of its own. Uh, like I was describing earlier, the kind of radio that I really like is is the kind of radio that connects the audience. So I've always just really liked that process uh, as much as the, you know, final outcome. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me ask you this. Uh, I I love that you brought up the film background. Uh, I'm very curious. To me, there's always this interesting sort of uh, connection between how somebody's previous background or their past influences and shapes uh, the way they see the world today and the way they do the work that they do. Let me ask you, how has film influenced um, the way you approach you know your creative endeavors in the world of radio and and how has it influenced your storytelling abilities i mean what have you brought from the world of film to the world that you're in today i think that film has you know for obvious reasons um tended to be you know think of itself as an art form in a way that for a long time radio did not or um a lot of people you know, a lot of people didn't think of radio as something that could be narrative and crafted and really evoke emotion. They thought of it as a sort of mass communication tool. And so I think radio has learned a lot from film and you can see it in, you know, the not that these were the first shows to do it, but, you know, shows like This American Life and then a uh, generation later, shows like Radiolab really brought a sort of narrative, highly crafted sense of storytelling and journalism, which I think has a real film DNA to it. So, you know, I studied film deeply. Part of that was the aesthetics of it, which, you know, maybe don't translate as much, but certainly the, the, the mechanism of crafting a story of working with emotion of, you know, hitting emotional points and, uh, and, and narrative turns so that you bring the audience along your story. You can apply those tools to journalism and you can apply those tools to radio journalism. So I, I think back to the films that I love and what they do for me and the radio that I love or some of the radio that I love really evokes that same kind of, uh, you know, has that same kind of emotional texture. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love this term, radio journalism, and and the idea that we're bringing stories in to to radio because I think it it really 
One of the things that I've been seeing, and, and now I, you know, I want to talk about trends in radio, but one of the things that I hear over and over again when I talk to people uh, is this sort of notion of, of creative cross-training almost and pulling various influences from every art form or discipline into what they actually do. I mean, you've seen our website. We, we do a lot of stuff around illustration. And I feel like we, we cross all these different boundaries across all these art forms, and I think it, it's just kind of the way the world is today, and I think it's really, really cool. I think it's given us uh, an ability to collaborate in a way that we never could before. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think you, you, you're touching on both a very practical thing about the way that, you know, the, the media landscape is exploding and fracturing and the need to sort of find audiences in a bunch of different ways. But also, I think you're, that notion of uh, being informed by a bunch of different disciplines is just one of radio's strengths, actually. What, what I was saying before about how you know, radio hasn't had necessarily this legacy of people uh, wanting to be in it from a very young age and this sort of like formal path that people go on. It's, it, there's more and more of that. But, you know, traditionally, say, comparing it to, say, film, uh, there aren't – there isn't the sort of like highly tr- uh, highly polished sort of level of, of institutional training for radio that there is for something like film. Mm-hmm. I think that's a real strength of radio because what you end up ha- happening – what ends up happening is – people sort of move sideways into radio from other disciplines, from other uh, backgrounds, from other training. So, you know, you, you look at a place like WNYC, which is making, I think, some of the best radio there is, and you walk down our hallway and there's, you know, that person has a film background. That person was in local politics for a while. That person worked at a think tank and then hit, you know, 29 and said, you know what, this isn't exactly right for me. I'm going to go sideways into radio. But they still bring that to the discipline. Uh, That person lived abroad for all these years. And I think radio has really benefited from that diversity of backgrounds. And certainly on a show like ours, when we're bringing people into the fold, you know, radio experience is really great, but uh, real world experience, the uh, a, a specialized knowledge, and then also just kind of this uh, willingness to draw from a bunch of different disciplines is like, I think, uh, the most important quality. And like I said, has been the real strength of radio. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I think it's it's really really cool. Which I mean, I, and I love that you brought up the shows at WNYC. Which I think it, it takes me into my next question. Uh, you know, we, we talked a bit about storytelling and all this narrative that comes around storytelling, where you end up with shows like This American Life and at Radio Lab. Uh, and my question is around sort of the mastery of that craft, right? Because it's not that you know you don't have sort of the masters of it that come before us to go learn from. For example, if you want to be an NBA basketball player, well, guess what? There's 250 people that have come before you. Not that I have any skills whatsoever to be an NBA basketball player. But uh, I'm very curious, when you look at somebody like an Ira Glass or, or any of these people, the really, really sort of talented people, what do you think it is that leads to sort of the mastery of a craft for them to produce the quality of work that they do and the way that it impacts an audience and the way that it connects with an audience. Well, I'm going to add the world's biggest caveat at the top here and say that, you know, I'm not, I am in no position to speak on behalf of uh, someone like Ira Glass or Jad and Robert from Radio Lab. you know, and the kind of radio I do actually is, is, is at the moment is very different though. I have 
worked on shows like that and done pieces for shows like that. So I can speak a little bit as a radio maker, but also as a, as a radio fan. Uh, but, you know, I think it is uh, a commitment and a realization that radio deserves, you know, real depth of craft. Um, radio has tended to, for a lot of radio, it's easy, right? You can open up a microphone and start talking and you're making radio. Uh, and so there's like a, it's, it, there's a little bit of, um, it sort of creates this false sense of what radio can be because it's like, well, it's really easy to like to immediately do it. Whereas with film, you know, if I want to make a film, there's like a fair amount of training that I would need to do that. Certainly a generation ago when there was tons of technical training and now, even now, you know, uh, it still involves a little bit more. So radio has always, I think, been a place where people could just do it really quickly. And I think what people like Ira Glass did was say, you know, this medium deserves more. This medium is something that you can really invest time and journalistic effort in. And there's, there's, uh, a real skill there. And, you know, it's a, he's a master of it, but it's not like, um, this big secret. It's just a matter of putting in the work and spending the time and saying, you know, we're not just going to settle for opening a microphone and talking. We're going to spend months applying the tools of narrative journalism to this medium that hasn't had it for that long. And I think the medium has really benefited. And then at the other end of the radio spectrum, a show like ours, which is open up a microphone and start talking, uh, still kind of has benefited from that because, uh, you know, we have this sense of radio as this place where uh, communities gather, where you where you shine a light on stories that don't get told otherwise. So, you know, here at the WNYC offices, we uh, we have this sort of open floor plan on the eighth floor at w- or on the ninth floor at WNYC. And our show, which is a sort of morning talk show, is happens to be our cubicles happen to be between Radio Lab and on the media, which are two very different shows from each other and two very different shows from ours. But like there's something I'm convinced that the open floor plan of it just like something is in the air and we draw from them and they draw from us. And it just all feels like we're we're part of the same project, mm-hmm. even though we're all sort of making very different kinds of radio. So, you know, what I love that you said was, you know, you talked about depth of craft when it comes to somebody like Ira, and then you talked about plugging in a microphone and starting to speak when it comes to somebody like you or somebody like me even. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really cool is that there's almost a journey where what you're doing is the starting point to getting to that depth of craft. Uh, I mean, that, and that's that's something that I've realized uh, over spending four to five years of doing this. You know, when I look back at what we did even a year ago, I think, wow, this is really different. We're spending a lot more time thinking about the depth of craft and, and the ability to tell stories and to do things that really hook our listeners uh, and keep them listening. Because I think that in a lot of ways, like you said, it's it's easy to, to get into this mindset that, okay, you know what, I can plug in my microphone and we can neglect the depth of craft. So I think it, it's important to keep that in mind almost as sort of a as a point to which you're trying to reach, uh, and I don't think this just applies to creating radio. I think this applies to any creative endeavor, for that matter. I agree. I think you you, you know you have to put in the work. You're not doing yourself or 
your audience any favors if you are just sort of winging it. Um, and I, a lot of it just comes down to standards and taste, right? We all have the thing in our, <laughs> we all have the thing in our heads that we want whatever project we're working on to be like, or sound like, or look like. And, you know, the whole goal is to close that gap as much as possible between what we're doing and what we're hoping that it will be. Mm -hmm. And the only way to close that gap is to just, you know, do work and hold yourself to high standards and just sort of do it and do it and do it. And, um, that's why I think a show like ours with a host like Brian, who's been doing it for 25 years, uh, you know, thrives because he's unwilling to, uh, settle. He's unwilling to rest on his laurels, even though he kind of has it figured out. He's always asking new questions. We're always trying new things. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's um, a lot of that is just related to how, you know, good creative people are wired, that it's as much about sort of setting up challenges for yourself and figuring it out as it is about uh, feeling like you've accomplished something. And I, you know, every time I talk about this stuff, I honestly, I, I, I come back to, to the sports I've played because when I am play, you know, I really think that sports are like the best example of, uh, you know, always, always having your goal be a little bit out of reach, mm -hmm. right? Always thinking that there's a little bit more you can do, always thinking that your team could be a little more cohesive, even though a lot of sports are about winning and losing and there's goals and all those, things, you know, literal goals. Uh, I, I've always felt the most satisfaction when, uh, you know, the sort of winning and losing is a byproduct of the work that you're doing and the effort you're putting in. And the satisfaction comes from just sort of, you know, giving it, giving it your all to use a sports cliche that I actually tend to believe in. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I think that's a, it's actually a, such a true thing. And I love that you brought up how Brian is never satisfied because you know, what I realize is that you never really do bridge the gap. It's something that you're constantly doing. You it's, I, I remember hearing Ed Helms in an interview with uh, a guy named Sam Jones on the off camera show that MTV produces, which is probably my, one of my favorite interview based shows. And I remember he, he said, he's like, life is just a series of false horizons. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was such a, such a true, I, I thought, yeah, man, I'm like, you've made it. You've been in like three hangover movies. You're famous and you see life as a series of false horizons. That really is eye opening. I think that's really indicative of the fact that there is no such thing as an I've made it moment. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that, um, the people who I like to work with and I'd like to think at, when I'm at my best, I'm this way, you know, the moment you feel comfortable, uh, that's like the most terrifying feeling in the world. And then you're like, okay, let's figure out a new thing. Mm -hmm. And all the projects that I take on and, you know, I'm always sort of adding new things and trying new things and, and trying to find new people to collaborate. There is much, um, you know, challenges and new things to figure out as they are, uh, ends in, in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite 
of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So uh, before we we get into Ask Roulette, I I want Mm -hmm. to ask you one more question uh, specifically around sort of the radio business, because I think, you know, from the outside world, it sort of can appear that, hey, you know, radio is this dying business, but... It's what I'm very curious about is is the media landscape and how it's starting to change. Uh, you know what you guys are seeing from your level, and what are the implications for people who are themselves creators uh, at sort of the level of you know. The, I'm seeing that, you know, there's like, you know, what we consider mainstream media or big media, which might be you guys, and then sort of independently produced media. Uh, And I'm very curious from where you're sitting, what is this landscape looking like and what is the future going to look like? Well, I think it is, uh, you know, fracturing and exploding in some scary ways, but also totally providing a big opportunity for independent uh, media and you know, big media and then things like WNYC, which I guess are like big independent media. You know, we're still pretty small time in the grand scheme of things, but we're a big uh, public radio station and content producer. But this is this this uh, this is was slightly before my time. But I think, you know, the the initial fear around some you know podcasts on the Internet was that it was going to kill radio. And it's Almost the exact opposite has happened is that 
there's been this realization that audio content somehow, some way, you know, thrives online and uh, people seek it out and they can time shift it and their mobile devices actually work really well for radio. But also I think um, the sort of intimacy of radio has a real sort of special place in the sort of disparate media landscape, which can be a little uh, alienating at times or whatever. So I think that radio is really having a, a moment now, you know, which no one could have really <laughs> predicted. And certainly, uh, you know, you look at the podcast explosion. I mean, I heard someone joke the other day that like basically we're getting to the point where no one has a conversation with each other unless they're a guest on the other person's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it kind of feels that way. Certainly no, you know, every comedian in the world has a podcast. Every, uh, sort of, uh, entrepreneur has a podcast, but I think it's, um, because, People are seeking connections with each other and mm. also because there's starting to be some real money involved. Uh, not you or I, but uh, other people. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, you look around and uh, there's podcast networks starting up. Stations are starting to bring podcasts into the fold and realizing that, um, you know, it's an actual viable medium and people uh, feel really connected with it. And the thing in public radio which is why I think public radio has been really good at, at podcasting uh, is the thing in public radio is always about the connection with our listeners. Uh, both because I think that makes the best kind of radio, uh, but also from a calculating standpoint is, you know, that's how we uh, survive. When we are public radio, your job is to make a connection with a listener and then convert them from a listener to a member. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of how our business model works. I happen to really like that because it changes the kind of stories we can tell. But so, so if, if podcasts are this way to make a connection with a listener, well, that's the first step to then bringing them in the fold and sort of meeting our business model. So it, it's all of a piece. And I think it all is really, um, starting to coalesce in this in this moment right now. And I mean, just looking at the last year of the podcast world uh, and then where it's headed over the next year, it's it's pretty remarkable to see the sort of explosion and the sort of level of craftsmanship and, um, and you know, that people are starting to make a real living out of it. Not that many people yet, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's getting there and it's changing quick. Yeah. Well, speaking of connecting with listeners, I think that actually makes a, a perfect setup to to start talking specifically about what got you here and what piqued my curiosity, um, mm -hmm. which is Ask Roulette. But I, I want to start by talking about something that you mentioned earlier in our conversation where you said that you had sort of this epiphany moment where you started to see dots connect, which you know led to the formation of this. And what I'm curious about is how we learn to recognize those moments in our lives uh, as creative people or our lives in general, because I think those moments are often overlooked by a lot of people. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer. I mean, I think one of my, uh, what I tend to do is, you know, collect as many dots as possible and then hope that some of them connect, <laughs> you know? So I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm always trying new things and then it just comes down to sort of what feels right. What feels like it has an inkling of, um, you know, has a spark, something that you could pursue. And then, uh, I really think the key is to pursue it efficiently. Right. So I, 
know people and I've, there's been times in my life where you sort of kind of throw yourself fully into this project and then you get totally uh, disheartened when it doesn't pan out and then you throw yourself fully in, and invest yourself into another project and then you sort of go swinging from, you know, ecstasy to agony and so forth. And I And I tend to think it's better to have a bunch of things bubbling and really figure out the ways to do them efficiently and then start to sort of use your judgment and sort of uh, trust your instinct and say, okay, this project, it's, it's okay to let it go. This project feels like it's got some legs. Let's push it and see. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, and this is what happened with me. I sort of found one that really felt special and exciting and that I could really pursue, but that's not to say that there weren't like four other projects out there that could have had, that sort of feeling for me and I could have fully invested myself in it. Like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of it is about just picking something and, um, and working on it as a problem to solve and then realizing that, Oh, it's got, it's got something there, but, uh, you know, ask roulette is great. I think it's unique. Uh, I, I really love, uh, everything that it does, but it, it, there could have been some other project, you know, that would have been really satisfying and started to get some, get some momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting as I, I listen to you talk about that process, I think about sort of the process by which I conceived our uh, you know recent event, the instigator experience. I started out interviewing one person at a time and I thought, well, let me try to interview three people at the same time and see what happens and let's bring in, you know, let's do it live and we'll make it a teleseminar and, you know, that worked. And then I thought, well, what if we put all those people in the same room at a live event and saw what happened. And, you know, it's, it, I love that you brought up that, you know, it's, it's about doing it efficiently because I think it's very tempting. The temptation for me could have very easily been to jump from, you know, okay, I interview people. Let me go and put eight of them together in a live room at an event. Um, and I may not have been able to connect or collect the dots the way I had uh, if I hadn't done that. So with Ask Roulette, you know, one of the things that, like I said, really intrigued me about the entire concept was I wanted to know, you know, what does a person who conceives of something like this think of the world like? And I guess the question for me, before we start getting into specifics about what goes on at Ask Roulette, because I think our listeners, especially mm-hmm. if they're in your area, will probably find themselves in your audience very soon. Uh, is there some deep need that it fulfills for you? I mean, do you have a deep need for connecting to people? Uh, is, I mean, I'm curious, you know, where, what underlying personal need does this fulfill for you? I don't know if I buy, you know, that there's some sort of deep seated need. I mean, (laughs) I think everyone likes to connect with others. Uh, like I said, you know, I, 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 I was, I'm a little more calculating about it in that I really just love media or really any project that connects People. I just marvel at the willingness of our audience members to talk to each other and open up to each other and sort of take a chance. And I guess I just – this may answer your question. I guess I just find it really inspiring to see people sort of take that chance and then I'm totally uh, in awe of what comes out of that. So you know, my deep-seated need is not about a personal fulfillment or anything. It's about just kind of like wanting to – do a little bit to help create those moments. Um, and, and I just, uh, you know, I, I, it's like totally fulfilling to watch people connect with each other and have played a bit of a part in that. But, uh, 
you know, I really feel like it's at its best when, in a sense, I recede and I'm really just kind of providing the nudge, the, the nudging around the edges and the sort of, uh, you know, the situation for people to actually sort of take over. Uh, that's when it's most satisfying. And that's when I sort of really just sort of sit back and say, wow, there's some there's some, something really great happening here. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of which, uh, let's start talking about kind of what goes on at Ask Roulette, mm-hmm. because I think, like I said, if any of our listeners are in you know, the New York area, for those of you guys who haven't heard what Jody is up to, I highly encourage you to go because I, I just I couldn't help but laugh. I mean, there are some hilarious things. So let's talk about the people who come to Ask Roulette. I mean, I still remember when I emailed you, you said, Srini, I think the people who come to Ask Roulette are far more interesting than I am. But uh, it, it's you know, like I said, the the what goes on there was what really fascinated me, uh, and I'd love for you to start talking to us about what happens in that room. Sure. So, just to recap the sort of uh, infrastructure of it, basically, people come to ask roulette, and they come with a question they want to ask a stranger, and. Uh, it's a little hard to dis- to have people picture it, to describe it. It's much easier when you see it in action. But basically, you write a question that you want to ask a stranger down on a sheet of paper, and you put it into a box. And then there's all these questions in a box, and I sort of sit to the side of the stage, and I pull the question at random and call people up. So there's this idea that you're sort of writing a question, and you don't know who it's going to eventually connect with, which I really like. And, and- you can tell that people uh, think about their question as something, you know, there's that sort of mystery of it. Like, man, who's, who, where is it? This question is going to go into the ether and it's going to land with someone. And I don't know if that's going to be a man or a woman. I don't know if that person is going to be old or young. I don't know if that person will have just had the worst day in the world or, or will be on the cusp of the greatest moment of their life. You know, who knows? But mm-hmm. I'm putting my question sort of out there. And then we uh, call people on to there's two people on stage at a given time, and uh, once someone has, you know, someone uh, asks their answers a question from a stranger, and then the person who they just, whose question they just answered, leaves. The next person comes up, and that person who just answered then gets to ask. So there's this, uh, there's this bond of trust where you can't really try and uh, troll it or whatever, because you know that you're going to be answering a question first. And so there's that, that sort of, uh, that infrastructure creates a little bit of an element of trust. And that's a really big part for me is I want people to just feel comfortable and I want people to feel like they can open up if they want. That said, you know, some of the interactions are really short. Some of the interactions are a little longer. Some of them are totally funny and weird. And some of them are really deep and moving and, uh, a lot of the and a lot of the time you can't tell what's going to what it's going to be just by looking at the question. So, for instance, we've had a question like, um, tell me about the last dream you remember. Uh, we've had that question asked a few times. It's a great question. And, you know, there was uh, one time that question got asked and it, I uh, someone told like the craziest, weirdest uh, story I've ever heard. And it was hilarious and everyone was laughing. Another time someone answered that question and talked about how they just had a dream about their mother who had recently passed away. So, you know, in in these questions, there's the sort of infinite range of possible answers and connections. And that's where I think it really starts to sing because you just don't know what's going to happen. And I think it's a nice reminder that a question isn't like 
a question isn't like a way to extract information from someone. A question is sort of an invitation to connect. And I really love those moments. And they tend to happen, you know, pretty regularly. Yeah, you know, I, I, my probably my favorite thing that you just said was this infinite range of answers and possibilities. I think that that's such a, a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. The other thing that you brought up that really is very uh, surprising to me is you said, you know, you're creating an environment that people feel safe in, uh, which. It's funny because I've heard some of those questions. I remember how I discovered you and what got my interest was I was listening to a woman on stage being asked, uh, when was the last time that you went on a blind date? And she happened to be at your event on a blind date. Yeah, that was that was that was remarkable. And I mean, you know, the audience loved that. Everyone immediately turned around to see where she was sitting to look <laughs> at the guy, you know, but uh, but someone asked, I think. The question was, uh, tell me about a date or a blind date that went really badly, actually, was the question. <laughs> and she – yeah, there's actually there's actually a video of this, too, if people want to go check it out. But uh, but And she said, well, as it happens, I'm on a blind date right now. And so, you know, I asked the obvious follow-up, which is, how's it going? And she said, well, it's going great so far, you know. And then we said – well, tell us about a, a horrible date. And she told a story about a horrible date. And then, you know, we said, okay, I looked at the guy sitting in the <laughs> audience and I said, okay, so now you know what not to do in order for this to go well. But yeah. And, and so, and so that's just, you know, that's just pure coincidence, right? That you had a question about a date and this person was on a date and we've had that happen, you know, way more than I think should be statistically possible. <laughs> these like amazing coincidences. So someone will ask a question, their pet and the other person will be you know in in veterinary school or whatever uh someone will will ask a question about their apartment and the other person's a landlord or they just aren't looking for an apartment as well uh so you know these these connections happen all the time and you just never know until people get on stage and actually start talking mm -hmm. and um that's what i really love about it is the sort of texture that you get over the course of a night some of the interactions are really short some of them merit a long conversation with a bunch of follow-up questions uh some of them are really serious some of them are really silly mm -hmm. well and what kinds of people come to ask roulette that's, uh, you know, as you're describing this, I'm really curious. And, you know, are there yeah. like what's going on in somebody's life that makes them think, you know what I want to do? I want to go ask a bunch of strangers a question or I, I want to be asked semi uncomfortable questions by a complete stranger. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, our audience is like really uh, I, I often think that the, 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 the best part about hosting the show is that I don't actually have to be on stage because I think. I probably put myself in the in the shoes or the seat of the person on stage, and I'm like, I don't know what I would say if I was asked this question on stage in front of a bunch of strangers. But people continually sort of step up. I think we're in New York. We're sort of in the um, storytelling comedy uh, world. We do it at a venue that has a lot of sort of storytelling events. So I think that there's probably a number of people there who are, you know, performers of some type, uh, or at least feel a connection to storytelling and performance. So, you know, sometimes you get people on stage who clearly are used to being gregarious in front of strangers, but, uh, a lot of them are just people who, um, are regular folks, so to speak. And uh, I think they end up there and they kind of uh, maybe surprise themselves by how much they're willing to open up. But I, you know, I never want people 
to feel like they're performing or they're trying to meet some sort of standard or trying to win by giving a great answer or whatever. You know, everything I do basically is to to make it a um, a comfortable environment because I think that's when people are at their best. Because I gen you know I genuinely believe that people are interesting and they have interesting things to say and they want to connect with others. It's also you know you have to I have to say this. It's also self selecting, right? Not everyone who comes is going to go on stage and not everyone who comes has to put uh, something in there. So, you know, you're, you're pulling a lot of people just come and drink and have a good time and just watch and maybe cringe or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> but maybe not cringe that much, but, you know, hopefully just laugh and feel a, a warm glow. But, uh, but the people who are putting a name in, you know, are already the kind of people who think of themselves as willing to, to take that step. So it's a little self-selecting, but, but man, I, I just marvel at, at the way people sort of rise to the occasion. I mean, I can say this like pretty much, uh, with full certainty, like no one bombs, you know, no one goes up there and just like freezes up. Mm -hmm. Uh, people, people are just great. And from a, um, very practical standpoint, as a sort of producer of this thing, one of the things I really like about the format is that if an interaction is not clicking for whatever reason, you can just move on. Mm. You know, there's no uh, there's no time limit like in a lot of other storytelling events or whatever. It's not like this is going to be a five minute story or whatever. Some of the interactions are like literally 10 seconds long and some of them are five, six, seven minutes long. And it's that's my job is to sort of say, OK, this interaction is uh, is done and we'll just move on. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love that idea that nobody can bomb. I think that's such a such a really it creates such a cool environment for people to be in. And like you said, one that people feel safe in, uh, which I think is absolutely fascinating. So, you know, before we start wrapping things up, uh, you know, I have one other question around sort of the byproducts, uh, not for you personally, but for people who have come to ask roulette, have there been interesting stories that have come about as an after effect, uh, as a result, like, has anybody gotten married as a result of ask roulette? That is, uh, that's the one I'm waiting for. I think, you know, I'm pretty sure there's been some couples that have met at Ask Roulette. And so I'm waiting on my first Ask Roulette marriage. Um, I, I know people, you know, uh, become friends with each other, uh, because they ended up together. Uh, people see each other at shows, you know, we have some regular folks who, who come to shows over and over and they've connected with each other. I've certainly made friends by people just coming and going on stage and I've had a great conversation with them and follow up with them afterwards. So I, I do think we're sort of building a, a community of sorts. And I, you know, that's, uh, that sounded really pretentious maybe, but you know, it's <laughs> like, uh, but, but, but it's true. I mean, I think people want to feel connection and, and, and I have this whole sort of notion of New York as, as big as it is and as surrounded by people as you are all the time, it's a, it can actually be a really isolating place. And I tend to really value things in New York that feel like, that make it feel like the world's a little smaller. Your community is a little more closely knit. It's the kind of radio that I like for New York. And it's, uh, you know, I think my show, when it's at its best in whatever humble way is doing a little bit of that as well. So I, I, I just like that. It, yeah, I am noticing that it's building this little community. I'm waiting on the marriage. Uh, I don't <laughs> think anyone's broken up at Ask Roulette. I don't think that would happen. It's like a totally a good vibe kind of place. Uh, and then the other thing that I really like, and this, this kind of answers your question is, um, 
that even though there's two people on stage and a question gets asked on stage, you can see the ripple effects of that question go out into the audience. So everyone who's sitting there is answering that question in their own head, in addition to watching the other people, the people on stage answer it. So it sort of, you know, engages the whole audience. And then sometimes, you know, we usually go to a bar afterwards and, and we'll, you know, we have a drink special at a bar or whatever. And uh, I walk through the bar and I can sort of see people still mulling over one of the questions that got asked or one of the moments that happened. And, and I mean, we, uh, we tweet out the questions that get asked on our, on our Twitter account. And uh, sometimes I just go and look at this list of questions and they're just, uh, they're all over the place, but they're really engaging. And, you know, sometimes I'll just get one stuck in my head and I'll mull it over, you know, for an entire day or two. And uh, so there's definitely this like ripple effect of questions. And I think uh, that is like, um, I, we were talking about the social landscape earlier. And I really think that like, this uh, this notion of asking questions and trying to connect with as like a real there's a real space for that online. I mean, you know, you look at the rise of uh, Ask Reddit, uh, you look at the rise of Ask Metafilter. Some of that is about practical advice, but a lot of that is just about like wanting to connect with people and having strangers sort of mull a, a provocative question over. Uh, what the Twitter guys are starting a new app called Jelly, right, which is all about asking each other questions. Quora is all about. So I think that there's a sort of a uh, uh, questions are having a moment right now. Mm-hmm. And, in you know, we're at the very bottom of the list of all those things I just listed, but I feel like it, it feels like we're sort of part of that too, where people want sort of uh, present interaction. They want to connect uh, in real time, which is, is, is sort of harder and harder to do or not harder to do, but is, um, you know, it feels like more of a special commodity in many ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to use that opportunity to do a shameless plug for our uh, in-person event called the Unmistakable Salon in L.A. Uh, if you visit UnmistakableSalon.com, you can find out more about it. Well, we're going to be speaking with our uh, friend and former guest, Justine Musk, where you guys can ask your questions. Um, so, Jody, this has been really, really interesting. Uh, and I, I want to close with uh, my final question, which I've closed all of our interviews with. You know, I found you because something that you did uh, in a world of noise stood out to me. And our show is called The Unmistakable Creative. And you've witnessed the media landscape for a very, very long time. And I'm curious, based on everything you've seen, everything you've experienced, and everything you've created, what is it do you think makes something or someone unmistakable? All right. I think I got something. So. That that is an incredibly uh, difficult question because I think it's sort of um, everyone has it. It's I think it's it's most powerful when it's not it's not possible to articulate. You just feel you know like something clicks for you. I really love people who seem like they are trying to uh, you know make the world a little more intimate, explain things. Uh, pop the hood and, and, and sort of tinker around and explain how the world works and bring me a little closer. That's the kind of, uh, media I like. It's the kind of writing I like. It's the kind of friends I like. Uh, and so that's the sort of, um, you know, that unmistakable element is just witnessing someone try and sort of help me figure out the world. Those, those are the people who really, uh, fire me up the most. Awesome. 
Well, Jody, uh, let me say it's been just an absolute pleasure to have you here uh, as a guest on The Unmistakable Creative. Uh, and I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with our listeners. Great. I really appreciate it. And, and again, if people are listening from New York, they should come out to uh, our live shows. And if people are listening from elsewhere, they should uh, check out the podcast. And one of my big goals for 2014 is to go on the road and try and do some shows uh, on the West Coast and, and elsewhere. So um, hopefully we're coming to a town. Near <laughs> hopefully. But we're certainly on the Internet. Yeah. And uh, for those of you in New York, highly, highly recommend it. And uh, for those of you listening, we will close the show with that. Today's episode of The Unmistakable Creative has been brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple accounting solution for business owners who want to skip the headaches of tax time. No more hunting receipts, digging for invoices, or going through records one at a time. For a limited time, you can try it free for 60 days. That's two whole months to see how much more efficient it will make your invoicing process. Visit GetFreshBooks.com to learn more. And remember, when you get to the How Did You Hear About Us section, enter Unmistakable Creative. And don't forget, when you support our sponsors, you support our show. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.